Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Crew Podcast and on Instagram at 16mm Crew. So this week we watched the Amazon Prime movie, The Tender Bar. This movie stars um, Ben Affleck, Ty Sheridan, Lily Rabe, and Christopher Lloyd. It's directed by George Clooney. Here is your synopsis. So in 1972, nine-year-old J.R. McGuire moves into his grandfather's dilapidated house in Long Island, New York. Searching for a father figure, he falls under the unconventional tutelage of his uncle Charlie, a charismatic, self-educated bartender who introduces him to a handful of the bar's colorful regulars. As the years pass and JR grows into a young man, he tries to fulfill his dream of becoming a writer. So, Dill, what were your initial thoughts about this movie? Um, you know, with you know, the title being Tender Bar and, you know, um, the Netflix current run of like people like his movies do interpersonal kind of things and struggles like um the the way home. Um, mm. I was kind of not expecting a movie like this, but I kind of was. Um, I didn't know it was gonna be a a bio like comic of age story because you know when they talk about this movie, they don't talk about the Ben Affleck side of it. So I I was thinking like knowing him, the Tender Bar is probably you know a euphemism for some, like, Boston gang movie, you know, until, especially when you look at the poster, it's, like, set it in the seven, like, 70s, so you're not thinking mm-hmm. what the movie's about, so, but I was, um, I was, my expectations were subverted, and I, I had a really enjoyable experience watching this movie. Yeah, I agree, like, I had no idea what this movie was about, like, at all, I thought it was, like, Again, a movie set in Boston because, you know, it's Ben Affleck and that's really who I saw promoted for this movie. So I I just thought it was like one of those working man bars that everyone goes to, you know, to like rant and rave about like life's troubles. But it actually was a coming of age story, like you said. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was really funny and genuine and uplifting in a way that like, not that many movies are, especially not because, you know, this, like, life is very serious right now. So, like, some of the movies will reflect that. So it's nice to see something that's really, like, kind of genuine and kind-hearted and, like, I don't know, just nice. It was, like, an enjoyable watch. For me. It was really, like, grounded and realistic. Yeah. Which is, which is something you don't really get in a coming-of-age story. Usually, because the subject matter at its core is a young boy as he's growing up, you know, he is looking for a father figure and trying some way to connect with his father in some way. And usually, in movies of this, it, it ends up being kind of jokey hmm. to a degree in certain situations. But this kind of was it was really grounded in realism, and it's it's almost like um like where TikTok was kind of focused on, you know, um turning 30 and you know suddenly the youth is over now you're an adult whereas with this movie you see that those lingering things from childhood progress towards you like his overall fear of potentially ending up like his father and the expectations of his mother wanting him to be a, a um a lawyer you know because mm-hmm. of her issues with her father not his father not doing what he's supposed to do as a as a man and then his interactions with his grandfather and then his interactions with his uncle, you know, turning him into an actual adult, you know? Yeah. I liked that all the characters were, like, pretty flawed. And what you were saying about it being grounded, it's, like, it was very realistic. Like, not everyone's, like, doing amazing things. Like, it's just, like, your uncle and auntie, like, that you grew up with. And um, I like the themes of not real, not only, like, trying to find a father figure, but, like, trying to understand like what home is and like what home means to you, especially when um, he grew up in kind of like a different situation where like a lot of family was living at the grandfather's house and people were kind of coming in now and um, his dad was there, but his uncle was. And 
I like that search for, for home because I feel like sometimes it's like the very simple things in life that I don't think always get articulated on screen. I feel like this was a nice nod to like something that maybe I think people might be missing in their lives, but they probably don't like realize it all the time. And so home, like not, or feeling like you have a home, even though it's different or constantly searching for that um, was really, I like that piece of it. I thought it was like a really interesting piece to put in there because it is true. And also essential in like growing up and trying to find yourself. So. I, I do like that inclusion of him, you know, mentioning him being in Yale and taking uh, Western literature and then talking about the Homer and Iliad, which those two stories kind of do cr- sum up what the movie's about. Like, as you said, it's a journey to find your home, your place in this world. And then he tries to talk to the girl. The first thing out of his mouth says, how's your Iliad? Like, how's your journey? How's your life? That, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I thought that was really, really... It 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 set the, if you if you weren't aware of those things you it kind of did prepare you for what the movie overall is about and it's very relatable because even even now like like I think of oh potentially probably being married and having kids one day and I, I my goal like is like I want them to like have a home you know mm-hmm. the same place like and I don't mean home as like holy mom and dad are there I'm thinking home as experience because for me even though mom dad sisters we all live together I moved around a lot like I was never stable in that one place and his mm-hmm. mother was always trying to tell him like what do you want to yell he was like i'll come home often and she kept telling him this is not home like mm-hmm. as in this is not this is not stable you know for you like you know me struggling for work your uncle being smart but him working at a bar your grandfather being your grandfather and your only compatriots for a kid are grown men at a bar you know that's yeah. not home home at all you know so i did i, I love that you know yeah that was a really good element um, this is based on a true story of like a real person. I think his name is JR. It's the same it's the same first name, but it's a different last name. Um, but he's like a Pulitzer prize winning writer and stuff like that. I don't know, it's so funny to me that like a lot of these stories are about people wanting to become writers. Mm-hmm. And every time I read a story where like a person wants to become a writer, I'm like, are they even good at writing? And I like that they questioned it, at least in this movie. Like, he was never, like, 100% sure that he was good at it. And he was kind of just, like, getting by. Like, I like that piece in the movie where him and his roommates are talking about, like, luck. And the fact that it's lucky that he got there. And it's like, that's just life. Like, you know, like, yeah, some people have money. Some people are poor and, like, have to work hard. And, like, but... It's all it's all up to chance that you got into Yale. It's a chance that you got the, a job at the New York Times. Like, don't like think that oh, my circumstance says that I can't do X, Y, and Z. Like, you can still do stuff. But I I don't know. I thought that was like realistic in the sense of like, yes, you want to do this thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at it. Like, so I like that they at least question his ability to write even though he does end up being a very successful writer. But we don't even see that part. He just leaves. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's like everybody's concerned at a certain point of... It's not even... Like, I like the fact you're right, them showing his his concern over if he can actually write, and everybody telling him you can write. It feels... Mm. It's very, like, imposter syndrome, in a way. Yeah. Like, mm. when people tell you, like, I remember in college, like, I had my friends, like, oh... Uh, Dale, you a bomb editor, you can do this, or you, your graphic, blah, 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 you can do this. So I was like, in my head, I was like, am I really good at this? Like, like mm-hmm. I always felt like there was always somebody better than me. And mm-hmm. it's like imposter syndrome is like a two-way short because you keep it keeps you on your toes to improve. But then on the other side, it can also like cripple and demoralize you and not motivate you to do anything because you 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 feel afraid. You know? Right. And, I, and on, on the point of it being luck, it is right. Like, it's luck that you're born now in the here and now like you could have been born 20 years earlier 20 years late it's all a luck of a draw so take a chance on whatever whatever you can and i think that was the crux of the conversation between two of them like you're lucky you're mm-hmm. here so you might as well take a chance because he was afraid right. to ask the girl out so i mean you know just take a chance if she says yes she said if she said no no it's just it's luck you know so yeah exactly and uh to something that you said yeah i found that really 
Uh, just true. Like, just really true to, like, to, I think all people who want to do something creative that's, like, against the grain. Cause, uh, he initially was supposed to go there to be a lawyer, and that did not end up happening. But, like, yeah. it's true. It's, like, you have to follow your own path, and it doesn't, it's not, like, a clear, like, okay, yes, I'm good at this, so then I'll be successful. Like, no one really knows what's going to happen. Like, we're all just out here trying, so... I don't know. That was really, I really liked that portion of it. Um, I'll tell you what I didn't like, the girlfriend, Sydney. Like, she <laughs> I, like I hated her and her parents. Like, they can all go kick rocks. Because, like, why are y'all so, bo- it's just so ill. I was just like, ill, Sydney, you're gross. Like, you literally are with someone and you keep running back to this, like, guy. It reminded me of that scene in Good Will Hunting where um, Matt Damon is like yelling at um mini driver about like how because he's poor like she does she's not going to want to be with him and he's just going to be like that one guy she like went slumming with and then she's going to forget about it that's what i thought during those scenes i was just like this girl is just using you i, I thought you were going to be mad because she's making your name look bad but you're 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 right that's not my name i don't care <laughs> I'm, I'm, mess, I'm messing with you i'm messing with you but no you're right it remind, like their whole thing reminded me a lot of like uh forrest gump and jenny like mm. it's a really it's a really toxic relationship where clearly one side is deeply in love with the other person or the other person but you you don't want to take that step either because a you're afraid or because they're your little relaxation piece you know like she, mm. he goes to her house for christmas he's there talking with her parents and and fucking eating scones and shit and before they go downstairs like yeah you gotta go i shouldn't have brought you here this is what i'm lying he's like shouldn't have brought you here and they go off on and off for the rest of the time they're at harvard which is really to the point where his uncle is like why are you going to your house in the middle of the rain crying about it on some um a 16 candles jukebox outside the door kind of stuff i mean come on it's it's like I was just like, listen, Jr. You deserve so much better than this. Like, please leave. Because <laughs> like, how are you gonna do that on Christmas? Like the nerve! I can't believe it. But whatever. Anyways, she's a mess. I'm glad that that was over eventually. And I'm also glad that he didn't like get with someone else. Like it wasn't about a relationship for him. Like it really was about like self discovery, and that was just a part I mean- of it. I'm, I want to say it was a, was about like the whole movie was a about self-discovery and relationships in, to me, um, but like her, his relationship with her wasn't the focus. Like That's for what me, I, mean. I felt yeah. like yeah. his relationship with her was a short time thing to like. Okay, your first major love. Okay, I can fill a gap of love of you know from not getting love I want from like my mother or my grandparents, or whatever my father with her. I can fill the father figure gap with my uncle and those kind of things like. Like he was trying to fill a void at the time he didn't really think was there by it being really codependent on her. You know, and she was like, Yeah, now you just a jump off, my boy. Like I'm about to get married soon, so and he's like, Can I go to your place? Like, nah, he's gonna be there, you know. So yeah. It's so sad. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, that was crazy. Um, but I, in terms of the performances, I thought that it's funny because I was watching an interview after this and Ben Affleck was saying that basically his daughter was like, you're, you're playing yourself. Like you just <laughs> sit and talk to people about like <laughs> what they should life and shouldn't do, like life lessons <laughs> with Ben yeah. Affleck, which I thought was funny, but I did like him in this role. And I also liked, um, I don't know if I like loved Ty Sheridan's portrayal of Jr. because I felt like, like he was a little too jolly for like everything that was going on in his life. Like he didn't seem like he was ever like that upset or sad until he has that confrontation with his father at the end. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he kind of is just like gliding through. I was like, I would be really angry or like distraught in some of these situations, but I guess that's just me. But whatever. Lily Ray is the star of the show. Like she was. <laughs> absolutely fantastic she is our queen i don't know if anyone has seen miss stevens but if you haven't like it's free on youtube you can watch it right now like miss stevens she's excellent in that and also she's in vice with um, christian bale and amy adams she's such a talented actress and she needs to be in more things because she 
like hard was amazing. Like she was amazing in this. Like I loved her character mm-hmm. so much. So that's really it. Uh, you're like Kong, you're right to tie to Sheridan. I do think in certain scenes when people kind of question like your relationship with your father and you respond with like he's just a voice on radio, like you would think there'd be some kind of internal struggle that's emoted on your face, but he's kind of like he's a face in the voice. He just shakes his head and that's it. Like there's no there's no like pause to con- to like collect yourself. And there's not the, the whole thought process thing isn't there. Um and, and that's I think that's something you develop as an actor, you develop like his only other major stuff was that bad teenager spaceship movie with Colin Farrell and I think the X Men stuff recently that was and that was it. I haven't really seen him play any other serious part. So that's a skill you learn as mm. as you're developing as an actor. Um you're right, Lily Ray knocked it out of the park as that dove like that doving concerning mother and Ben Affleck. I like I like Ben Affleck in these kind of roles. Like I like yeah. Ben Affleck not behind the lens. And especially with um him like giving those kind of like sage advice, kind of being the old wise man. I I, I do think he's at a point in his career, I think he realizes where he's not like gonna be like Leonardo DiCaprio, like the first guy the name on the call sheet to get a get a role. He's gonna he has to diversify the type of roles he's playing as he gets old. Like these roles like he's doing now, like I said with the 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 way back or the way home, like these kind of characters where you're like you're it's like a passing the torch, not just metaphorically but acting wise. Like I'm I'm moving away from characters who dominate the screen. I wanna be the person who like has trouble and is guiding people away from that kind of, like that kind of thing. And I think that showcases not just his evolution of a character, but his evolution as a person because prior to this he had like real like problems with drinking. And so dealing with that stuff probably influences his casting choices and the direction he's taking direction he's taking right now. And I, and I do also think having George Clooney as director behind the scenes really, really did help a lot with this movie as well. Yeah. I didn't even know he directed this until like afterwards. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> he directed this movie? Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen another movie that he directed. I think I watched Seven. I think I watched that movie. I didn't watch his most recent movie, Midnight Sky or something of that sort. But I think he's probably, like, I actually liked the way this was directed. Um, it did have a very, like, 70s feel. Like, even, like, the, I don't know what exactly the term is, if it's color grading or the, however the movie looks in terms of, like. The grade, the color palette, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think that had very, like, vintage 70s feel, which is fine because that's the time period it was set in. Um, and I liked some of the cuts and the edits that they did in some of the sh- in some of the scenes. It wasn't, like, the best in terms of, like, looking films I've seen. But I think in terms of, like, getting performances, he was absolutely the right person to do the job because he's an actor. So he knows exactly what, like, the actors need in a certain scene. And that's what Ben Affleck was saying. He was just like... Yeah, I've I've never gotten better notes from a director because my director is a very great actor, like who, who understands things like it. So I thought in in terms of that, he was very good. And I think what I hope is that like more actor directors don't put themselves in the movies they're directing. I feel like it makes more sense just to direct it and have actors play, just because I think when you're trying to do one one like extra stuff, like you're filling so many roles, one thing is always going to be lacking. Like, you're never going to be able to give, like, 100% dedication to every single yeah. role. And I, and I think that's probably why this movie worked so well. Because, like, I think George Clooney's directed almost, like, seven or eight films. Like, this being the seventh, I think. Um, mm-hmm. The most recent one being Midnight Sky. The only other movie where he was not a character in, like, he was on screen was Rubicon, and that was most, and that was with, um, I think Matt Damon. Suburbicon was like Matt Damon, uh, Oscar Isaac, is coming back. So I, I, I think like, and that's a thing. Like when direct, when actors are directors, and you're both in the screen and film, it's kind of hard to balance your time on things you need as an actor, things you need as a director. And to Ben Affleck's credit, Ben Affleck does that too. But you kind of you lack in one way, and you have to make up for another, which sometimes doesn't work. So mm-hmm. and, I, and especially. With this, at least George was able to put the time, like put the time into it. Okay, we're gonna focus on directing, and I can give proper notes to the rest of the cast, and they 
and they can understand it better because they're also actors as well. I do think having act directors behind the scenes really helps actors a lot. Mm-hmm. It really helps them a lot to sell their performances because they know what to look for or what they need to, you know, do. So, yeah, definitely. Um, do I have anything else to say? Mm, no. I don't think I, I, I do. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Well, what I would rate it. Hmm, I'm going to give it uh, a 8 out of 10. Um, hmm. And not because it's not bad. I, lo- like the, I love the movie. The movie is good. The movie is a slow build. Although in some in some parts, it kind of does meander a bit too mm-hmm. much in a way like it feels like it's like certain parts of the movie feel like they're, they're trying to find their place just as much as um, JR, mm-hmm. which is something you really don't want from a movie. You kind of do like what, what, what was Chad's mod? I don't think you said what you guys do. It was like life doesn't make sense, but movies have to. So when you get those spots mm-hmm. of the of movies trying to figure out what they are. It kind of feels a little awkward, you know. Mm-hmm. But all in all, it's still a great movie. I can see why you know Ben Affleck's getting you know rave reviews for the performance in this movie. I can see why it's probably one of his best work in recent years. So yeah, yeah. Um, I I'm gonna give it like a seven point eight. I liked it. Like I enjoyed it. It made me laugh in a lot of parts. It was very honest and realistic. And I think, and I thought the performances were great. I thought it was well written as well. Um, but it wasn't like my favorite thing. It, like I, I don't know. I do feel like what you're saying is true. Like I definitely felt like it was slow in a lot of places that it didn't need to be. Like I felt like in terms of pacing, they could have like got that together and made it a little, a lot more tight. Like it didn't need to be as long as it was. Um. And some scenes were a lot, I feel like that should have been more significant. Didn't have as much time to really get there because it was like, we're cutting and we're going to the next scene. So yeah, it wasn't my like favorite thing, but it was, it, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it that score. And I think people should watch it. Like it was a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a, it's a nice change of pace on the typical, yeah. Coming of age movie, so yeah, all for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on to box office uh, news. Um, of course, it's you know it happens. You know, Spider Man is back at the number one spot in box office, bumping off Scream. You know, uh, it uh, it's it's gonna happen. Like we like I said the day as it opens up to a wider um, audience internationally, so that it was always going to happen. So good, I guess, for for you know Spider Man fans. I guess I don't know. Good for Marvel. Keep printing those. Print, keep printing that money. Um, but on to domestic numbers. Um, Liquor's Pizza is now for the weekend. Uh, Liquor's Pizza went this weekend at number ten. Number nine for the weekend is West Side Story. Um, a debut on The King's Daughter. Debuted at eight. Uh, The King's Daughter is the story of uh. Louis VIII and his quest for immortality as he steals a mermaid's, a mermaid's life force. Um, so it's not not a highly political sized movie. Wasn't haven't seen anything about it, but good to see that it dropped in at eight. Um, American Underdog is at seven. Um, the Three Five Five is at six. Kingsman holds steady at five for both weekends. Um, a new release uh, called Redeeming Love debuted at four. Um, it's kind of a a weird, I want to say a weird movie, but the movie is kind of about a a, a woman who was sold into prostitution as a child, and how her heart can be mended. It's kind of like a Tyler Perry movie in a way of a woman whose heart is broken and can't be mended. But um, again, um, that's the Universal Pictures um, product. Um, after that, Sing Two, Sing Two holds three. Scream, of course, as I just mentioned in the news, dropped down from one for the weekend to two. The Spider-Man No Way Home is back up to the number one spot. Um, as far as internationally goes for the weekend, um, the Kingsman is now everywhere from Taiwan, Korea, Mexico, Italy, 
Switzerland, Singapore, Denmark like, is everywhere. Other than that, um, South America's the number one movie has been uh, uh, Encanto in Colombia and Argentina. Brazil has Sing 2, so does Austria. Um, um, Nightmare Alley, uh, another Disney um, picture. Uh, number one in Australia, Spain, and France. And UK still has Belfast, Germany, and Poland also have Sing, Sing 2. Um, in Japan and Norway, both have uh, Spider-Man No Way Home debating at number one. So, you know, domestically, Spider-Man is still making the, this, that money, um, but it seems like internationally, wise, these Kingsman is now kicking up the um, picking up kick, which is weird because it's another, it's another, so it's another Disney movie as well, to a degree. So, of course, you know, Disney can still print those, print those checks as much as they want. So, some money for there. But yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> Moving on, um, Aquafina um, faces a lot of backlash for his history of using black stereotypes amid and double ACP image award nomination. Um, she was nominated for outstanding character voice over performance. And there's been some, you know, discussion about that. I'm just gonna sit back and let Dale um, Oh, Give why? Why me? About the this event, <laughs> he felt very passionate about it. So I want to give him face. I'm, I'm not passionate about voice it. Voice frustration. <laughs> it's Go not frustration. It's more. So, it's more so concern, you know, with um, especially dealing with people with their past history of, you know, like the word we use was is minstrelsy, almost like a joke. Um, and her herself has spoken out herself when she was interviewed. By Vice at one point saying she's walked out of auditions before cast directors uh, had changed her mind, asked her accents, and she says she refused to do accents. And she says, like, so far all her parts have gone and been really real characters and being Asian is not a part of the plot line. She says she's okay when I'm having the Asian aspect in some genuine way, but she's not okay with someone writing age experience for Asian character. It's annoying, and I make that very clear. I never go to auditions where I feel like I'm making a mystery out of our people. Which I find funny because then she goes forward in a, her comedy and her stuff and her so-called rap career and does the same thing with black black culture in a way. Like, bear in mind, like her name is not Aquafina. Her name is Nora. Aquafina is a character, which she made up, which she continues to play. Like, there's there's a clear difference between the two. Like, Nora isn't Aquafina. Aquafina isn't Nora, but she's made her money and her fame off of being Nora, being this almost extreme parody of, you know. Uh, black culture in a way to a joke which a lot of the globe adopts like paper magazine shouts out of them does a really good article on talking about when white kids grow up on black internet it goes on to describe you know the evolution of culture in a way like from you've gone from Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson wearing tank tops and skinny jeans to like Billie Eilish you know dressing like she's big pun you know in that kind of way Whereas black culture has been uh, a, not black culture been adopted and co-opted mass and mass produced for all cultures to the point where you have Asian people and in, in, in you know Korean Japan and stuff getting dreads and stuff like that, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's good in the sense that black black culture is inherently. I can't even say like the excuse people make for these kind of actors saying black culture is American culture. That's totally different. With like us as people you know we were stripped from our native cultures like um and, and it's different for me to say because like like i said first generation american where i can still have a direct line to my jamaican roots jamaican culture like i'm embracing that for other people this black american culture was brought was created by a bunch of people who had to create a new one and it's always had to evolve and adapt with the times like at one point jazz was the popular music jazz is black people music is black people made it blues um even country has its roots in, in black music and stuff like that. So, and then it just changes into like pop and an R and B. So, like as as times has changed, yes, black culture has been American culture, but you can't strip that part away for profit without recognizing and responding the years of distrust and mistreatment that have gone on behind the scenes. And like her, she kind of hand waved it when you know she was interviewed for. Um, Shang-Chi, and she just kind of goes and kind of says, it's a multifaceted, like, she just said word soup without really explaining everything, you know, just to, like, 
get past it. Um, and some people say it's like, oh, that's where she grew up. First of all, yes, she's from New York, but she grew up in Forest Forest Hills. Forest Hills look demographically like fifty cent black, and not fifty cent black. It's like it's like what sixty percent white, two percent black, twenty five percent Asian. So to say that she talks away because her environment is deeply, deeply flawed in a way like that's like saying because I grew up in Miami, I I can speak in a Cuban or Hispanic accent all the time. You know, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't work that way. You know, and it's the same excuse like everybody gives, you know, you see white people on TikTok using, you know, black accents, black slang and stuff like that, trying to sound cool and popular. And their accents for some reason all sound the same. But if you talk to any other black person around the country, we all sound different. Like black people in Atlanta don't sound the same way black people in Miami, don't sound the same way in New York, we don't sound the same way in St. Louis, don't sound the same way in Cali. So that's it's really telling when they kind of try to use the same accent. It's and it's bad to the point where black culture, like I've always said, is co-opted and it's a commodity to the point where even we're we're dead, like Chadwick Boseman and the NFT thing whenever he died. And then you have all these TikTok stars who are usually always predominantly white girls who are doing black dances who somehow get become become famous and get acting roles and can't act for shit, but the black people who create those dances get very little recognition, like the Renegade dance. It took months and months and months, and people tweeting at Jimmy Fallon, you know, to say, look, you're wrong. This Addison Rae trick not event that dance was a black girl did. But by then, the damage is done. You know, you that white girl was at NBA halftime shows, all-star game, all across the country, major exposure. But by then saying, oh, yeah, we were wrong. It's actually a black person did it. It doesn't really fix anything because there's no they're not going to instantly reverse their ad campaign and say hey we're going to remove the white girl out and put the black girl and there's no way they're going to do that so I, th- I think it's and i don't blame her i blame the NAACP because yes NAACP has evolved to the point where they're not just black people only they're for colored people as well um but i do think they should be cognizant and be aware of people's history of them as an actor and what they do and the role she's the role she's nominated for is is voice acting in an anime series or show. The person who I really think should have gotten that if you're gonna go that far should have been uh, Kelly Kelly Tran, who was actually the main character in the movie. Especially if you're talking about representation on screen, I didn't know Blue Dragons were such an underrepresented group of our community where they really need Aquafina there as a voice cat as a voice, you know, uplifting and bringing them to the limelight. Whereas Kelly Tran is the main character, voicing the main character, playing an Asian Asian character who does not get that nomination. It's kind of it's kind of funny who they they pick and choose. It seems like part of it, part of nominating Aquafina was because her name is the big big name. Almost like they're trying to market her to the, the next big Asian thing, like us, usurping like Sandra O. Oh, because Sandra O oh is currently the big Asian actor in a way. Like they see, oh, Aquafina's on the rise. We gotta put Aquafina up or something, and so they did. You know, so that, that's my thing. It's 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 more on her history and the exclusive people she's made for it, and also the NAACP not being socially aware of what they're doing. You know, in a way. So that's that's my rant and rave and opinion on all all of this. You know, so there it is. I mean, I don't. For me, I was just like, Aquafina's voice is so annoying. So like why are you even nominating her for that anyways but like that's just a that was just a meeting like besides the black scent, i'm like that girl's voice is annoying like it's very difficult to get through anything especially that movie especially that movie so i was just like okay this is what i don't want to nominate her for that's weird but okay um anyways that's it my two cents i hope that i know you said that she doesn't do anymore so hopefully she learned her lesson in and I think that's like all you can do, like in terms of like internet culture and trying to like talk people out and stuff. Like as long as they're aware of it and they can make a decision to not do those things anymore, then we've done our job. Like you hold them to accountability. Um, well, now I I, I think her do that was financially based though, because she started getting better roles. Like that accent disappeared when yeah. they're in, she was in "Don't Tell Her" about an Asian grandmother. She's speaking not, English, like. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not commenting on the reasons why she stopped. I'm just saying she stopped. Because <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot of reasons probably why she did not 
you know, she stopped doing that accent, you know, because it wasn't a good look and it wasn't right. So, like, yeah, <laughs> can't do that anymore. It, but I'm just saying, like, it's 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 weird because it's over because. <laughs> This like you use that product of your environment thing is weird because you have all these British actors who use American accents on screen, but once they do interviews, they're back in a British accent. You know, mm-hmm. like I watched a movie this weekend, Come On, Come On, which I'll talk about later. But the kid is like a twelve-year-old British kid, good English accent. Okay. But then you, but then you watch his interviews, he's still speaking in a British accent. So it's you know, so I don't know. It's yeah. Hopefully, someone spoke to her, and you know, so okay. yeah. yeah. All right, it's your story. <laughs> no, it's literally your story. Yep. Oh, the Britney Spears thing. Oh, I thought you were talking about. It. Okay. All right. No, 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 no. So y'all, y'all, you guys are gonna get another another feeling of me because apparently, um, Britney Spears has put a reaction out to her. Younger sisters interviews and books. Um, uh, and she, I think she did a Today Show interview where she was talking about interaction with her mother and then Britney holding a knife at her. Um, Britney Spears did follow cease and desist letter almost to her mm-hmm. as she's as she's on her book tour calling the things I should have said. Um, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. It's always like, and Brittany's like, I'm sorry to you, Jamie. I wasn't trying to do what should have been done. I should have slapped you and mom right across your faces. And I think for people, it's a bit of a shock to hear Brittany speak like that because remember, she was in conservatorship. She had no control of her media. She couldn't really speak out the way she did. And once people who have been trapped in a serious situation get the opportunity to speak, they're going to speak their mind no matter how you react about it or not. Um, and Brittany also goes on to act like, she goes through the house and she says, how does a 12-year-old land a Nickelodeon show without any other prior experiences? Like, the whole family kind of had success and opportunity off of Britney's same. At the time, Britney couldn't do anything with her own fame. You know, she was really restricted. So, I'm, I mean, I, you, can't really, you can't really control the way a person expresses their anger and frustration at a situation that they were like, she was in that conservatorship to the point where her her, teen, her kids were like almost teenagers, almost twenty, like like almost two decades. She was in in that whole situation. So you your voice hasn't been heard from so long. You're just gonna the release that valve that that door isn't there. The, the flood is just gonna open. You're just gonna say anything that comes to your mind, you know. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I feel like I was talking about this with my friend and. I was, I saw Jamie Lynn Spears interview when she talked, when she was talking about her book and about like her knowledge of the conservatorship and all that other stuff. Um, I had always just when someone writes a book about anything, just because I feel like the timing, I'm not saying that. Yeah. The timing of it. And it's also like, like, well, I, I deserve to have my voice heard. Like my story has value. And it's like, yes, that's absolutely true. But it's also just like your sister is just getting out of this conservatorship and it's like still really messy. And Brittany is not okay. I feel, I, I don't know if anyone is like picking up on the fact that she's, even though she's free from the conservatorship, she's still like, I would say, dealing with some pretty severe trauma. Like she, because yeah. the yeah. way that she's like lashing out like this, especially when she like goes on Twitter and stuff like that, like the girl's not okay. Okay. Like she still has things that she needs to deal with. So I think we all need to put that into perspective of like how all of this stuff is like rolling out. But yeah, it's not, it wasn't good timing to put it out. Even though your story, yes, has value, Jamie, but you didn't have to do this just because like you're still up really things for someone who is even out of the woods. Like they, we don't even know if she started therapy. Like we have no idea which was going up like we still don't know that much like even the free so if, if i wouldn't have done it if i was jamie lynn spears but i don't know i feel like this is just going to continue to get messy because they're just going to be going back and forth in the media yeah it's just not going to end like i don't know i mean i don't know what to do about this because it's like how, I, what, what's going to happen like i think she's probably still going to put the book on on sale and people are still gonna read it so i'm mm. 
people are because we're messy by nature, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. This, this, this situation with Brittany, like, reacting to her parents and her sister, you know that gif of that girl smiling at the camera while the house is on fire? Mm-hmm. It feels it feels like that, and it brings me back to, the, like, the whole phrase, the the child who doesn't get the warmth of his family, the warmth of the village, like, something like that will burn, burn the village or something like that. It feels like that, like, I've felt this way for years, and now that I'm free, I'm taking everybody down with me. So, mm. but it's clear that she does need need help. You know, the ish the issues of being trapped in the conservatorship for like twenty years, and then getting that freedom and having to balance like your reaction to being in that situation, and now having the chance. So, it's, it's clear she needs somebody to talk to, and it's clear mm-hmm. like some of the people, the people around her, she still is kind of untrustful of because you know they're associated with her family or whatever in some kind of degree or nature. You have her dad mm-hmm. trying to say, oh, she he needs, you know, you know, financial support from his daughter, you know, still and trying to sue her and stuff like that. Like it's it's horrible and I I feel really bad for her. Like no one should ever have to go through had have should have had to go through or still go through the the repercussions of what she went through. So Yeah. It's Crazy thought. Okay, and in our last story, a really sad story here. Regina King's son, Ian Alexander Jr., died at 26, um, apparently from suicide. And obviously the family is devastated. Um, Regina said that he was such a bright light who cared so deeply about the happiness of others. And obviously the family acts for like respect during this time. This is really this is really hard to read. I know specifically because like last year during the Oscars, she was talking about like why it's important for people in their position to step. It's because like she was she referred to her son and as a parent, like like the things that they do and what they show in media has a real effect on people. Like art matters in ways that I don't think we always appreciate, and so. The fact that he passed in this way, it highlights like a lot of things. I mean, it's not, it's it's weird to talk about someone's tragedy in terms of like social structures and like how, you know, more black men need access to mental health care and all that other stuff. But it's true, like the fact that there are so many men who are suffering and who don't get the help and then it's too late and the families are like, now have to deal with this extremely tragic thing a loss someone that was very important to everyone it's like no mom should carry their kid it's just very it's just very sad and i've been thinking about it for like the past couple of days because it was just like it's devastating it really is yeah it's it's hard especially considering the way he passed um it's Yeah, and especially like you know, if you look at the last the last thing he tweeted, he was talking about how Instagram is unhealthy for you. Like you know, especially when you're dealing with stuff, you see Instagram, you see Twitter, you realize people are basically they're not you know they're not ever showcasing their full selves of what they're they're going through. They're always showing the the, the positive sides. And he compares it to the um the SpongeBob episode where you know all the SpongeBobs are going crazy, and he said it hits home. And you know, it's it's really relatable like you know i'm like me someone who's dealt with you know mental mental stuff mental issues um yeah it's it's tough and especially when you don't think your, your support system is there and also i think being a child you kind of like no matter how old you are you're always going to be a child in your parents eyes mm-hmm. um to to try and reach out to them in a way you 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 kind of don't think you can because no matter how close you are with them you're always cognizant of that parent child boundary um, so I know for her, she was probably devastated because you know she's under the assumption like because they're they're so close that mm-hmm. there should have been there should have been signs should have seen it coming. And honestly, you really you really don't you really don't see it coming. Like for me, when I was thinking about the same thing that he did, like I myself didn't think of it see it coming at all. That I was to that point, like nope. Like you could have asked my parents, my sister, no one would have thought that that's all single. It's it's a real it's a real silent a silent thing. And 
The thing I don't like the most about when these kind of deaths happen, it's not even deaths in general, socially and publicly, it's always good to say you never know what somebody's going through. We shouldn't make fun of people, blah, 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 blah. But then 10 seconds later, because we're humans, a week after we say that, we're already back to judging people, you know, mm. for the things they do and not really understanding. So, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. My prayers and, you know, my heart goes out to Regina and her, fa- her, her ex-husband and her family in jail and all the, you know, the loss of her, her son. So, Yeah. Okay. So, what did you watch this week? Um, I watched a movie called Come On, Come On. Um, it's starring um, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Gabby Hoffman, Suit McRae. Um, um, it premiered at Telerud last September, and it was an A21, A24 film. Um, it's a beautifully done movie. It's black and white. Like, it's, it's a very, I would say, stereotypical A24 movie to a degree. Um... Because I love those those stylists, but it's it's a it's a it's a human piece about an uncle connecting with his nephew that he hasn't seen for his year, a year, and a mother balancing you know, our father the estranged father's mental issues and potentially the son having one, um, and the way the son expresses himself, he puts on different personas. Like at night when he's tired, he'll or when he wakes up, he'll say, "Yo, I'm a kid from an orphanage. I'm staying at your house." Like he puts on, and the mother's aware of it, and so she's kind of coaching her son to handle these these things and express his emotions properly whereas, you know, staying with his uncle his uncle's not prepared for that, you know and through the movie they're opening up with each other, he's learning about the nephew and stuff like that and I, like, this movie watching Joaquin act with a child is amazing it's not just this child, throughout the movie there are interviews of Joaquin as a traveling journalist interviewing real children the warmth that he's able to project on them to have people, kids be comfortable with talking to an adult about their hopes and fears for the future and a, and a person, especially a person they don't know, who they just kind of just meet, is really amazing. Like, this movie kind of did sell me to the point that Joaquin probably is one of the best and most underrated actors because of the types of roles and films he does. He doesn't go for those big box office smashes like he doesn't do he's not like leo who does the scorsese films you know he's not like you know he, he does these small interpersonal human experience movies and his characters kind of ebb and flow differently like this one he's kind of standoffish and her he's kind of neurotic you know joker he's kind of a man in the midst of make mental breakdown the way he ebbs and flows with these characters and is able to sell these performances one of like walking like to me is probably one of the greatest actors right now. He does not does not get the credit he deserves, but to me right now he's one of the greatest actors out there right now. So yeah. So yeah. Watch this movie if you can. Come on, come on. So yeah. I think he's like a very true artist in the sense of like he's not he's in it for the reason of like doing the work. He's not really in it mm-hmm. for like the fanfare, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty cool. Um I didn't watch any movie. I rewatched Dune. I actually bought Dune. Um, I don't know if that was good. You bought but Dune? I did it anyway. I bought Dune. Oh, wow. I was contemplating buying French Dispatch. I just, I realized I'm going to rent it. I'm not going to buy it yet, but I did, I did buy Dune. So that, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I should have done that. Like, I feel right now I'm like, I don't know if that was the right decision, but I watched it again and it was still great. So, I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, but I did watch um, another one of those Hollywood roundtable interviews with, with, but it was the director's cut this time with like Guillermo del Toro and Pedro Almodovar and uh, Jane Campion and Kenneth Ross. So Ray, who did King Richard, I don't remember his last name. But yeah, they did a whole director's roundtable and that was really good. I always like watching the director's ones just because like, I feel it's so interesting how they view filmmaking because I know how we talk about filmmakers that we love, but to hear them actually speak about their process and how they do things, they always seem like really unsure about stuff. Like they seem like they don't, and when they're, when they're talking about movies, it's always just like, yeah, I don't know 
and like I hate writing. A, a fear, a fear. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like you're Guillermo del Toro. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just so weird to hear them speak as if they aren't like at the forefront of the industry in terms of like what they do. It's so weird to hear them talk like that. Like, but it's it's I like it because it's like they're human people. Like, they still they still have that mentality of like, yeah, we don't. Nothing's nailed to the ground, but we know exactly what we're doing. We're just like, we're also figuring it out, which is interesting for filmmakers who've been making movies for like 20, 30 years. It's very weird, but. It's, it's weird hearing actors talk because it's like not to shot, not to like shoot young actors, but it, it's kind of almost devoid of pretentiousness. Like you hear yeah. like, yeah, we, we were coming up with this scene and I wasn't sure if it was going to work. And so I just had an idea to just go with it. And you know, it worked. Whereas actors go, it's like, I wasn't sure about taking this role, but I felt something inside of me that said, guess I, I have to do this role. It's going to be amazing. And lo and behold, like, oh my gosh, I knocked that apart. Like, it's 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 so, like, an internal, like, it's like you said before with, you know, the the uh, tender bar, that whole imposter syndrome. I'm Diego Guillermo del Toro. I'm this renowned director, done all these blockbusters, but still, when I'm behind this, when I'm, directing people i'm always wondering is this gonna work or is it not gonna work mm-hmm. you know so, yeah. like, what <laughs> but it was really interesting to hear their perspective on it and then i watched another actors round table with you know javier Bardem and andrew Garfield and peter dinklage and also guys um and that was really good too um yeah it's really i don't know when it comes to like at asking people like about the artistic process it always seems weird because it's like you learn information but it also just feels like you don't get that much like every time i watch things i and i like i leave it with more questions than i got answers and i think that's just because like it feels like a very like impulsive kind of intuitive thing which like duh but like i don't know for some reason i don't think about it in those terms when i look at these people but yeah, it seems like they don't even have like real answers. They're just like, yeah, I felt like this was the right thing to do, so I did it. And it's just like, okay, well, there you go. You don't need the answers. That's the lesson I learned today. <laughs> anyway. It's just this mag- just magical power, you know? But yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. And I think that's it for us. Anything mm-hmm. else to add laughing at? No. Oh okay. no, no. No? Okay. <laughs> gonna be like that. Uh. So we hope that you're all taking care of yourselves and you're having a good week. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Um, support us if you can. And we will see you all in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>